the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Philanthropy SA. This is a podcast about and for the philanthropic community in San Antonio and South Texas. We introduce organizations and people who are making an impact in the community. Beneficent Financial is proud to sponsor this podcast, and it is our hope that you enjoy this conversation about the impact we can have. The goal is to edify and inspire. Now, please join our host, Dan Rebman. Thanks for joining us today on Philanthropy SA. I'm your host, Dan Rebman, and I'm joined today by Paul Garrow. You know what? It just occurred to me. Is it Garrow, Garrow, Garrow? Well, my grandmother would say Garrow because she was from Carlentini, Sicily. But, there you go. But most everybody knows me as, as Garrow. Okay. Yes. So joined by Paul um, and very pleased to have you here. Um, Paul has, is wearing two hats, so we're going to get to talk to him about two different things. Uh, and so uh, I don't want to blow the – I don't know about surprise on that because folks know you and know what you're doing. But um, tell us, first of all, like what brought you to San Antonio and out of Sicily? Right. Well, first of all, Dan, thank you for the invitation to be here and Absolutely. have this conversation. It's just a great privilege. So, you know, um, as I was trying to form my career – I, I really thought that uh, I was meant to do what I would call missionary work. And, and my wife at the time, friend, said, uh, there's plenty of missionary work in our public school system. And so perhaps you should become a teacher and, and try to make some kind of difference in our public school system. And so I researched and I sought uh, to work at one of the schools in one of our most impoverished cities in the nation. So Watts in LA and Harlem in New York and East St. Louis in Illinois. And at the time, this is like in the 80s, East St. Louis was considered one of the worst cities in our nation. So extreme poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, no police force, no garbage pickup, uh, and, and quite a bit of other risky behaviors in that city, right? So I went to East St. Louis. I was both a teacher and administrator there. Uh, We were very successful as a school, but there really weren't a lot of jobs in the city. And so I I was a young guy, right? So I was in my 20s. I really didn't understand everything at the time. But in the end, that school sold out uh, to the prison system in Illinois. And so the high school I taught in is now a prison. Oh, my. And and when that occurred, um, you know, my wife is from San Antonio. Uh, she's got deep roots here and deep history, and I did go to St. Mary's University for my undergrad. Okay, and so I thought let's let's both live in San Antonio, Texas. So that's how I I ended up here. We got married about a year later. This is in uh, early '90s, and we've been married for you know 32 years, and I've uh, enjoyed calling San Antonio my home. Ever Congratulations! Since then. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, unbeknownst to you, I actually was born in St. Louis and lived there a couple different time periods in my life. So I can attest folks, everything he's saying about East St. Louis is true. Um, <laughs> and, um, 
the conversion from school to prison is probably, you know, students would have probably said it was that way all along. Yeah, but, right. you know, that's, you know, about kids feel about school. Um, but uh, but glad you're here. Glad you're here. So um, you had that heart for mission, you know, before you got to San Antonio. And then talk about your journey here and how that's kind of manifested itself and continued. Sure. So um, so I always thought education was the answer to most of our um, human calamities. So I was very involved in education. Uh, I, I taught. Um, I became a high school principal at one point. I even ran around the country helping to train and build capacity amongst other teachers. And, and um, at one time, I even got invited to go to Finland and help them create a program for special needs children. I just hope it wasn't in February. So, uh, no, it wasn't. It was, <laughs> it was a terrific time. Um, and uh, that brought me to uh, Northeast School District, where I was uh, director of school improvement for Northeast. And that was when um, a number of people that are Rotarians reached out to me and asked me if I would consider leading an organization in town called City Year. It's an AmeriCorps mm-hmm. organization. And it was really not in my wheelhouse because I thought I was going to be in a school system, you know, my whole life. I loved it. I loved what I was doing. And um, so people like Rick Cavender uh, was on the board and Gogi Dixon, um, who has been just a terrific person uh, in my life. They um, convinced me to apply for the job. Um, I, I remember when they asked me, you know, have you ever raised money before? And one of my um, probably not-so-witty answers, I said, have you ever tried to teach English to students in East St. Louis? <laughs> and I tried to sell that every day. Um, and so I think I could perhaps sell the compelling mission of City Year and, uh, and a, few other, a few other things hopefully rounded out that answer. But I ended up getting the job, and, uh, and that kind of changed the trajectory of, of my career from there, from City Year. And that was like maybe – you know, nearly 20 years ago. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And we've had Jim Barshop from City Year on, you know, as a guest on the podcast. So um, so people who listen regularly will be familiar with City Year and the story, and it's an amazing, amazing thing. So, um, and apparently those Rotarians, in addition to getting you to do City Year, convinced you to join Rotary and do that as well, right? Right. So um, it, it was probably still a conversation with uh, some of our board members that were also Rotarians. And in there, um, I told them how I was indebted to Rotary because when I was in eighth grade in Omaha, Nebraska, I won some kind of scholarship from Rotary to help me uh, in my path, right, in my journey. I don't remember a whole lot because I was like, I don't know, 12 or 13 years old. And I just remember having to put on a suit and tie and go to a big, um, a big luncheon where I received some money um, yeah. for scholarship and, and leadership. So when they talked about Rotary, I had this recollection of Rotary that helped me in my journey and, uh, and thought, what a great place uh, to be part of. And uh, Rick Cavender and Pat Frost were the endorsers or proposers, you know, for me to get into Rotary. And, uh, and I suppose, um, uh, you know, w- whatever took place behind the scenes to bring me in, I guess I, I made it through, the, made it through <laughs> the, um, the gauntlet to become a Rotarian. And it's just I've never been disappointed. You know, a group of people that have some common values and that are trying to make a difference not only locally but globally – 
um, ha- has just been amazing. And my and really, when I was first part of Rotary, I locked into an annual program that we do, which is making sure every child has a place to play, a safe place to play. And so for almost 25 years, we've been building playgrounds throughout the city of San Antonio. And um, that was just such a fun, like, barn-raising activity because in two days we'd get two or 300 volunteers and we would build playgrounds and perhaps a playhouse and sometimes an outdoor theater and murals and plant trees and flowers. And it was such a um, almost therapeutic too because when you work with people and education and stuff, you don't always see your results. Yeah. In two or three days you saw results and you saw kids playing on that playground you know, that what did not exist on Thursday and on Saturday afternoon, they're playing on that playground. So that kept me moving and engaged in, in Rotary. And, um, and then and they, that, now I've been in for almost 17, 20 years. So. Right. And then they tricked you into becoming the president. So. <laughs> yeah, that, that was another surprise. I thought, um, you know, did you have a short list or something? You know, what, what happened? <laughs> um, yeah, this is my year to serve as president of the San Antonio Rotary Club, we have about 400 members, and we're part of a district that has nearly 3,000 members. And in San Antonio alone, there's maybe 20 Rotary Clubs. Um, some of them are just online. Some of them focus only on, like, human trafficking or or uh, making sure that we have clear, clean water, you know, a, a water system that, that stays um, plentiful and clean. Um, but our Rotary... Uh, has a number of local initiatives and global initiatives, and and so I'm just proud to to have been chosen as the president of Rotary. And it's a one year uh, tenure, so a one year burn. And we just finished the first quarter, and the reviews are that things are going well. There's good energy and and good membership activity and good engagement and stuff. So very good. And as a past president of a service club, a different not not Rotary, but a different one, and as someone who's kind of seen. You know what goes, you know what goes on with that. That's one of those thankless jobs. So it's you know one of those. You end up working uh, very hard, and uh, everybody wants to tell you what to do, but not necessarily actually do it themselves. So <laughs> anyway, that's, that's sometimes on occasion. Um, yeah, that that's the way that that rolls. But then you're also doing stuff outside of there. So you had mentioned City Year and your involvement with them before, um, but. You know, now you're you're working with a different organization. I am um, just recently, so uh, it feels like just yesterday, but it was actually around March. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine asked me to to seek um, kind of seek uh, what was going on with an organization called the Descalz Carmelites. There now, you go. Now I'm going to talk about them as if I knew about them before, but I, <laughs> I know so much more about them. I've been binging on all of their literature and, and who they are and their gift, their gift to the world. But this is an order that, that goes back, um, you know, uh, a thousand years that has their roots in being meditative and contemplative and prayerful and sort of trying to tell the world that um, there's a gift in the silence of our lives when there's so much whirlwind and activity and um, multitasking that's overrated, by the way, <laughs> um, you know, they would want us to have some calm and peace within us and then maybe illuminate some of that um, around us. So um, there's a whole region 
uh, that in the in the Midwest that this order is responsible for. They have retreat centers and schools and parishes and um, talks and 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 that sort of stuff. And the more I got involved uh, in seeking who they were and what they needed, the more excited I got because it was an enormous uh, task with, with um, seemingly impossible vision, right? <laughs> and I sort of like being part of things that people think are nearly impossible. Uh, because like, when, like East St. Louis. Yeah, like East St. Louis. Um, because when things are nearly impossible – there's absolutely no way to do any of to make a difference and do anything there on your own. You have to work with others. You have to collaborate. You have to trust. You have to be humble. Um, and, and there's a term that um, some people have used recently about collective impact. That if you're going to make deep impact, it has to be a collective effort where people join in and have common purpose, common common cause, and even common data that they try mm-hmm. to influence. So the, the Carmelites, um, they, like others, they have um, an aging population with few young people coming in. So they have properties and they have um, apostolates or missions and, and they have works, good works in many different communities um, that need to be handed over to other people, lay folks like myself and you, that, that perhaps will adopt their mission and carry, carry that torch forward. So I really like that. Um, mm-hmm. I thought, thought that would be awesome to be part of. Absolutely. And I just want to clarify here. So when you say order, you're speaking of an order within the Catholic Church. Right. This is, uh, this is an order within a Catholic Church, which mm-hmm. um, if you go look, the Catholic Church has a whole bunch of orders within them, right? Indeed. Marianists locally, that's St. Mary's University, they have um, you know, the Oblates. You've probably heard of the Oblate Center. There are Franciscans. There are Jesuits. There's, there's hundreds and hundreds of them, usually started by some inspirational figure that uh, was so inspirational that said, there's a certain gift that I think, if you follow me, that you can give to the world. So um, so that's the order. Locally, people probably know the religious organization I'm talking about because over on I-10 in Calabria, you'll see like a big gold dome, um, depending on which way you go, right off the yep. interstate. And that is a basilica of the National Shrine. So it's actually um, something that is recognized by Rome here in San Antonio and it's named Little Flower, which um, Saint Therese de Lisieux is. Her nickname was Little Flower, and she was recognized just recently as an UNESCO, uh, you know, world character. Wow! So just like the missions are recognized as World Heritage UNESCO, uh, the saint, the namesake for the basilica, Little Flower, is a recognized UNESCO person. That's incredible. Um, we are going to take a quick break right now to hear from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back with Paul to hear more about Rotary and the Basilica.
Many of you out there care deeply about wanting to make an impact on the world around you. You want to help take care of the people and organizations that are important to you. We understand that because we feel the same way. Beneficent Financial wants to help you. Our mission is to help people like you with professional, individualized financial advice achieve their objectives. Whether your financial legacy will stay within your family or benefit the community at large, we are able to help. Call Beneficent Financial today at 210-999-5511. In addition to traditional wealth management, we offer philanthropic services such as direct donations of required minimum distributions, donor-advised funds, and foundations. Call 210-999-5511 or go online to beneficentfinancial.net. Let us help you do well so you can do good. Securities offered through Momentum Independent Network, member SIPC slash FINRA. Thanks for joining us. I'm Dan Redman. I'm the host of Philanthropy SA, and I'm joined by Paul Garrow, who is simultaneously the president of the Rotary Club of San Antonio, as I was uh, <laughs> made, made was made clear to me, and the uh, and is doing work with uh, an order within the Catholic Church that uh, has the the it's the Basilica of the Shrine of Little Flower. Little Flower. There right. we go. You'd think I'd know this. My aunt actually at one time was the. Uh, Curator at the National Shrine Basilica of the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. So um, I just always called it the Shrine. That's what I always heard her call it. So we just left it at that. But um, anyway, which is another beautiful uh, property in D.C. Right. Uh, along those same lines. So um, I think you all are involved right now in the middle of a refurbishment project, or you're trying to get things. Re- we are because that was built like in the 20s, I think. Right? It was. So it, it was uh, during the Depression. So. I'm Imagine, you know, trying to raise money during the Depression, um, and the doors were open in 1931. And it's a very unique architecture, very unique um, art within within the Basilica. And so some people uh, draw attention to that, uh, you know, as even a, um, a tourist attraction because of the unique art and architecture and historical, you know, significance that it has. So over time, uh, you know, there hasn't been enough uh, funding or attention to the Basilica. So, so we're trying to make sure that um, we bring it back to its glory and, and even improve some of the amenities that are part of the Basilica. So what do I mean by that? Back, back when it was first opened, um, you had like the Von Tropp family performed there. Helen Keller was there and helped promote, you know, her message um, to the world. And since then, there has been a lot of other uh, arts and culture events um, at the Basilica. Uh, of course, there are spiritual uh, formation and events there and, and all of the things that are associated with a Catholic parish, right, in faith formation and thus. But we're trying to uh, not only just um, renovate the building itself and the grounds, but um, partnering with the economic development entity Prosper West. So they have like a 15-mile footprint over on the west side, and they want to, you know, um, make sure that business, home, uh, home ownership, and, and the home, you know, the um, home stock is, is helped, education, arts, culture, all of that in that particular area. And we're in, like, say, one of those miles, square miles of the 15-square-mile. 
Gotcha. So we're partnered with them, um, and with uh, with and just at the initial stages of trying to do something really special on a side of town that that has experienced generational poverty and and crime. Seven eight two zero one has had some issues over the years and still today. And we want to um, perhaps one way to look at it is. Uh, what has been done at Woodlawn Lake area, right, mm-hmm. um, has brought that area back to being a, a great uh, asset to our community. And we think that this iconic building of the Basilica can be one of those magnets or attractive assets of San Antonio economically, educationally, spiritually, and, and even uh, maybe some connectivity with some of the thoughts around the creek and, and nature and, and the trails and that sort of thing. So sure. we have all that. All the plans are in motion. We did our feasibility study. We have an economic impact report. We're, we're trying to form a team. But it's uh, it's one of those uh, projects that maybe um, if we can get this done by 2031, that would be the 100-year anniversary. But we need to raise about you know 40 or $50 million to do something that, that seemingly looks impossible. Okay, well, I'm sure one of our listeners has a spare 40 or 50 laying around, <laughs> and they'll be ready to, to help with that. But um, so in terms of let, – let's go back to Rotary for a minute. Uh, I mentioned my own experience in terms of having been the president of a service club and that type of thing. In fact, it was a, a group – it was the Harmony Hills Optimist Club, which sure. at that time was comprised of a lot of Northeast Independent School District administrators. So um, – but – my my question for you is, you know, we've seen a decline in service club. You know, I'm talking, you know, broad brush here, you know, Kiwanis, Lions, yep. you know, across yeah. the board. What do you think it is that has kept the Rotary Club in San – the Rotary Clubs in San Antonio going so strong and continuing to have that positive impact sure. in the community? Well, um we haven't been totally, um, you know, we have been somewhat affected by that same trend. So there was, you know, I guess it was back in the 80s, San Antonio held the World Conference for Rotary. And at that time, the San Antonio Rotary Club maybe had 700, 800 members. And now we have half that, about 400. So there has been, and, and maybe it's not because of anything negative. Maybe it's because there were satellite clubs formed and and. and and uh, corporations became good citizens and nonprofits grew. And so this idea of being a force for good um, really caught on and became part of the fabric of, of San Antonio even more than it already was. But um, one of the unique things that has held our members is that we have 1.2 million people in Rotary across the world. Wow. And that, that's a huge lever. So uh, right now, with with all the angst happening across our globe, right, war in Israel, war in Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera, polarization, all of that, our Rotary Club is initiating a worldwide effort to train people from all sorts of communities across the world in how to become peace ambassadors. H- how do you take what you learn through a year-long training in Northern Ireland, Coromelia, and how do you go back to your community and make a difference in conflict resolution and mediation and trying to uplift those things that are common bond more, you know, more than our differences? That, that idea was initiated in our club. We are quickly now up to maybe 20 other countries 
that are partnering with us. We already did some tangible things towards that end where our club raised money with some other clubs when the war in Ukraine broke out, and we were providing ambulances and incubators for children and some other things. And one of the members of our club saw that there was some obstacles in getting those supplies to where they were supposed to go. And because of his expertise and his background, he's in the military and did some things around supply chain and logistics mm-hmm. and things, he, act, he and his wife actually flew over to uh, Ukraine, Poland, Ukraine, and they held the hand of everyone along the way and made sure that the incubators and the ambulances got to where they were supposed to go. And along the way, they made sure that um, there were procedures and processes in place and that whatever obstacles there were, they, they would try to you know, mitigate any of the risk of, of all of these items getting to where they needed to go. When that person came back, you know, he told his story. And we said, this is Rotary, right? That yeah. we are people of action. So I, I, that's one example. I could go on to like a dozen other examples where um, Rotarians don't just talk about um, solving a problem in our society. They rally their friends, and it could be uh, a junior-level person at a company. It could be the senior-level person at a company. And they say, look, here's a common cause. Let's try to make a difference in this, whether it's um, you know, trying to make a dent in the food insecurities whether it's trying to make sure that um, every student graduates because graduation matters, uh, you know, whether it's trying to make sure that there's um, clean, drinkable water across the world. So we've, we've supported things locally but also globally, and that's one of the most unique, I think, aspects of Rotary. No, that's awesome. So if somebody's listening and they're saying to themselves, wow, that's something I want to get involved in, that's something I'd like to be a part of, what should, what should they do? So that'd be amazing if, if someone wanted to get get involved. So we have opportunities every month if someone wants to get involved. Um, service events every month. So like, for example, November 11th, we'll build one of those playgrounds at Any Baby Can. So that they are the recipients this year. And on November 10 and 11, uh, November 10th is kind of building the foundations and stuff of what we need to do. And November 11th is kind of like 150 to 200 people show up and they get involved in all kinds of aspects. Um, but, uh, but then we have luncheon every Wednesday at the Witty. So if you want to come and see who we are and get to know some of us and just kind of as a primer of what we're up to and what we're about, and you want to listen to an amazing keynote speaker, you know, whether it's uh, the CEO from Port San Antonio or just uh, last week it was the mayor and our city manager, um, if you want to get to meet them, have a chance to interact with them weekly meetings, luncheon meetings. Um, just show up, say you're a guest of Paul Garrow, and uh, <laughs> lunch is paid for, you're good. Uh, but all, as everyone else, we have a website where you can see what we're up to as far as like service events and, and luncheons. And um, even, if you, even if you can't um, afford the time to be part of Rotary or you're still unsure about what Rotary is and joining us as a member, we would love for you to come out and just, you know, bring your family or, or bring your friends to be part of uh, the service projects that we have going on. Sure. No, that's awesome. Um, now, switching switching hats a little bit here. Is I love the way you toggle basis. because my whole life is toggling between, right, right now between Rotary and, and uh, the Basilica. No, uh, I, I understand. That's, you know, we're, we're, we're all doing that. So I have a... 
uh, a guy that, uh, you know, I consider kind of a mentor who's uh, talked to me about how, like, every year he goes and wants to spend 10% more of his life, you know, involved in stuff that's not directly tied to his business. And mm-hmm. that's his kind of, like, you know, plan to 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 move on into a retirement that's very active and very – um, don't get me going on retirement. That's you know I can I can go on that for a while, but um, but anyway. So yeah. So that switching back and forth. That's a, right. that's something that you have to do all the time. But when we're when we're talking about <clears throat> excuse me the shrine and the basilica and and you know those types of things. So you know what do you you know we've we've got people who raise funds. Um, you know, for other organizations that have been on the podcast and, and I know folks that listen to it that uh, are in this space and everything, what would you tell those folks about, you know, the challenge of, you know, raising funds today in an economy with higher interest rates where it seems like right. people have less available funding and all of that kind of stuff? Yeah. So that's um, that's a great question and and there's a lot of layers to that. I guess I would first say this is that um, I was just I was just talking to a group uh, last week that want that were thinking about getting involved in development, raising funds, et cetera. And I said, number one, you have to be genuine. You 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 have to understand at the depth of what you're trying to raise money for. What what is it that that uh, particular cause, if you will, or, or group is about? And so be very genuine and, um, and then make sure you shape or understand a very compelling story that has a theory of change connected to it. So, so people want to know that there's a return on their investment and, um, and there might be a direct return on investment. In other words, if I invest this dollar, then there's some economic um, mobility in that dollar. But there's, there's also a lot of literature about social return on investment, that there, there are some economic values and other values about just quality of living when people trust each other and maybe even love each other and they're good neighbors to each other. There's certain um, – it's, it's hard to quantify. Some people have tried to quantify. But, um, but uh, I think human beings understand that quality of life um, – and uh, feeling safe because you trust your neighbor, uh, service to one another, that all of those have values that sometimes some of the folks that are trying to raise funds, they forget the big picture that we are all human beings, first of all, trying to navigate a human endeavor that can be sometimes complicated and difficult, but that if we work together in a very genuine way, um, that's probably it. Um, so, so that's sort of advice. Uh, what, what we do is just that um, with, with the Carmelite friars uh, and, and the community that they're involved with. Their primary purpose was to go into impoverished areas and then to uplift those areas, right? They wanted to go into places where perhaps there was discrimination or perhaps um, – you know, there was extreme poverty or generational poverty or whatever the barriers were, educational barriers. And, and I'll give you an example. When, when, the, when this order first came uh, from Spain, or, uh, they, they went down to Mexico. And it was during a time in Mexico where if you were part of a faith organization, 
there was like a huge effort to get rid of you, to kill you, to, you know, like a genocide effort, right? So uh, someone intervened, and some of the friars were in line to be, to be killed. And uh, someone intervened and said, if I can get them on a train and get them out of, out of here right away, you know. So this is like 19, you know, early 1900s, 1920s. So they went up to Oklahoma City, and they were going to um, put their roots down there. And the Ku Klux Klan said, we don't want you here. And so someone said, uh, you know, where can we go? And, and I guess someone who knew San Antonio said, San Antonio would embrace you. <laughs> We're eclectic. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe our roots with the military or, or, or uh, a lot of different immigrants well, that have been through here. And so we that, start, we that's how they have roots as a mission, so. Yeah, yeah, and we started as a mission, so we kind of get it. So that's how they ended up here. And um, so the story is very compelling, uh, and, and the friars are very genuine. Um, they're just amazing human beings. They're because of their gift of being contemplative and meditative and embracing silence. Uh, they're not very extroverted. Yeah. So <laughs> you're you're saying they're not a natural PR view. They aren't. They aren't. So they're not naturally inclined to go try to raise money for their mission. Um, so that's where I came. In. I'm probably like an anomaly uh, in their world. Um, <laughs> So anyway, it, so it, so it has been good. So that I guess that's the advice, and then also what I'm involved in now is just I wouldn't have said yes to being part of this organization if I didn't see just a real genuine and meaningful purpose uh, behind what they're doing. Yeah, no, no, and and it sounds like you know certainly we need more of that. In fact. We need more Rotarians, people who want to go out and make an impact in the day-to-day, and we need more folks who are going to be contemplative and uh, and work to help those areas that are impoverished and need the most mm-hmm. need the most effort. So um, it's great that you're involved in all that. I really want to thank you for being here today. Um, is there anything else that you want to make sure that we talk about as we're getting ready to wrap up here? Wow. So first of all, I'll just repeat, Dan, thank you for – having me here and uh i'm i'm so glad that you are using this platform to help send this message out um we need to match mission with uh with those that can bring resources either they're they're, you know time talent treasure you've probably heard that so um all of those are extremely valuable sometimes time is more valuable than than uh treasure and resources but we you know if you're going to be a force for good you've got to have resources in order to make that happen and so Thank you for, for making uh, that match occur through this medium. Absolutely. That's what we're here for. Um, so in conclusion, this is Dan Rebman just reminding you that we want you to do well so you can do good. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining us at Philanthropy SA. We hope you found something to inspire you during today's conversation. If you know organizations and people who are making an impact in the community, we would love to hear about it. Until next time, do well so you can do good. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.